we missed being with you guys last week. Um, and for those that were here that last week, Val uh, shared a lot of her story, and it was awesome. I went back and listened to it. And if you haven't been to hear it, uh, just access it on Storyline's website or on our uh, new Storyline app, and um, and listen to it. It was really, really good. Um, and it, uh, uh, I'm going to reference it some today as well. But we we went on a trip to Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, we went to go and visit. Uh, some former teammates of ours when Julie and I were in Canada some of you know some of our story we went to be a part of a church plant um, or to help start a church in Vancouver, Canada and uh, there was one other family that was originally there were like 15 of us that were going to go and then it turned out to be just one other family just one other couple and that happens sometimes in, in the field of missions but um, we went to visit them and I had not seen this family face to face since 2013, which is really sad. Um, and we, uh, if, if I haven't gotten to share the story with you, you know, we were in in Canada for about four and a half years. And at the end of that time, before we left, um, we had to shut this church down, which was one of the hardest things I've ever experienced. Um, and uh, we were reminiscing with our teammates. Uh, uh, while we were there in Nashville and looking at some old pictures and we were um, we were also watching videos and seeing people that we had spent time with and I remember when we left before I got to meet you lovely people but in this kind of transitionary period um, sorry is it I hear a little feedback or something we'll get, we'll get it worked on um, it's not the mic Jen it's something else in the line I Okay, thank you. I remember um, leaving Canada and asking God, why the heck did you take us to Canada? Why were we there for four and a half years? Like, what came out of this? Because it wasn't, we thought that there would be a church afterwards. And um, we invested so much time in people's lives. And what was... Where's the fruit of, of those years of that work that we did? And I felt I felt kind of um, hopeless in that moment. I wonder if um, you've ever uh, gotten through a day or you ask these questions about: Is what I'm doing significant? Is is uh, my efforts to make things right in my life, in my sphere, and in the world, um, is it worthwhile? Um, and I was thinking, you know, when we were in Canada, I was getting paid to try to help people. <laughs> like that was my job. And if I still felt like, what was the significance of that afterwards? You know, how much more so? Whenever sometimes we're pouring ourselves into careers and jobs where we don't really feel that connection, and we, or we don't understand how that how it, it, it's helping, and um, we're, we're left at the end of the day with hardly enough energy uh, to pour into the important people in our life, much less God's God's mission. Um, I worked at a Starbucks for a while and when we were in Washington State. And sometimes I worked the 4 a.m. shift. That was just the most terrifying thing for me. Um, I, I was not all there 
during my work. Um, and then afterwards, I was just exhausted. So I'd come home and take a nap, and then I would wake up, and I would just feel even worse. And Julie would come home, and she's like, how was your day? Um, uh, uh, I can't even say any words back to her because I just feel terrible. I mean, what happens on a day like that? What was the purpose of my life on a day like that? Have you ever had somebody say, how was your week? And you're like, I don't even know what I did this week. You know, I don't, I, and it certainly didn't feel like it was, a, it was a great, worthwhile week. Much less when we kind of look up at the world and we see a world that's full of brokenness and chaos and so much bad news. Where is the hope? I've heard, I heard Jim talk about hope this morning. I heard this in, in Megan and Ted's communion talk. Where is the hope? Um, I wonder about the ways that you ask this question. Maybe, it ha- maybe you feel that in, in terms of um, the world and about um, political things going on, about continued racial injustice, or maybe it's just like I'm trying to raise kids, but I feel kind of hopeless because this is, it feels like it's falling apart. So let me ask you, what, what's happened in your life um, that's made you wonder where is the hope? And, and we get to um, talk as part of our message. And so anybody can talk. It's not a long pause after a rhetorical question. <laughs> I think Paul, um, the work with around the question of how does our work matter, yeah. patient, uh, and I've been struck recently as a privilege of that. Um, and as I've connected with different organizations who are connected to either the working poor or immigrants or chronically unemployable. Mm-hmm. Uh, wondering how, when people are like just begging to get enough to keep the lights on. Uh, and I'm, I'm now giving my life to ask, asking questions for uh, very, for those privileged enough to have the space to take the next step and go, is my work meaningful? Um, so meeting new friends and just coming to terms with that yes. is hard. Makes me yeah. It, that reframes the question of where is the hope <laughs> when you're wondering about where am I going to get food for tomorrow, yeah. right? Wow, good. What, what else? Where do you identify with the question where, where is hope? Yes, sir. I've struggled off the road for a great many years, right? I want to know my ministry, foundation, discipleship, education. What's the plan? Is it a general group event and other experiences? So I I hit that wall many times. And so how I have um, adjusted to it, I feel that my life is somewhat worthwhile, is that I have. thought, you know, it's like what, what, what Carol's doing uh, about distribution. I, I, I have a great part for that. I'm a part for, for um, discipleship and, and all these different ministries. So I send $7 to a bunch of different online ministries say, well, at least God did a month. I have helped X and Y and Z mm-hmm. to get a little bit for, further. I'm not there, but at least my money is there giving them a little nudge. Yeah. And that helps me feel good about myself. Mm. So you felt you felt stuck or hopeless in your work, but you so you've reached out to try yeah, to find. Yeah. You know, okay. Like Good. Thank you, John. Um, 
I want to explore this question this morning. Where is hope found? And particularly as we read, uh, and as Sarah read, that First Corinthians passage, that, that vital passage to um, what the New Testament says about uh, Jesus and the resurrection, um, and the nature of Christian hope, and how does that change uh, not just our future, but how does it change today? And in the different circumstances that, that we find ourselves in, uh, that we and other our neighbors find themselves in, and, and how is that good news? And maybe uh, some of us are like, I, I'm struggling with how this is good news at all. So how, what, how might Christian hope be something that is good news or, or worth believing in? We are getting close to the end of our First Corinthians study, uh, which is, I don't know if that's good news or bad news. So <laughs> it's definitely been an interesting ride uh, to be on uh, going through First Corinthians together. And I think that the Corinthian church, uh, a lot of folks had hope. In that, but I think some of it was misplaced. Um, it had become a hope in being really, really spiritual people. Um, it had been a hope in if we gain this specific spiritual insight and knowledge that kind of sets ourselves above others, um, then we'll, we'll have arrived. We'll be in a good spot. It's, it's been a hope that if, uh, if they can have these certain spiritual gifts and exercise them how and when they want, um, then they will feel really spiritual. And it's almost like that if they could just become completely spiritual and, and above this world, then things would be great. You know, if we could kind of get rid of the mess of this world and the mess that, you know, like even, even connected to, to our bodies, the mess within us, if we could be released from that, then we'd be great. We'd just be, you know, spirits floating around, being happy and good. Um, in fact, a century after this uh, uh, letter is written, this new kind of belief starts to circulate and affect Christianity called Gnosticism. And it's basically this, this escape you know, from the material world into a purely spiritual existence. And that's where people found hope in, in a Gnostic sort of way. Um, but Paul and the other early uh, believers in Jesus were telling a story of hope that seemed a little crazy to the Corinthians. Um, the Jewish story of hope, uh, or at least for some Jews, included this thing about the resurrection of dead bodies at the end of time. And the reason I say dead bodies instead of resurrection of the dead is because this is part of the hang-up that the Corinthians had about the whole idea of resurrection from the dead. They were thinking dead bodies buried in the ground being risen to life. Okay, So they, did, they didn't know what to do with these stories. I have some friends from college that are great storytellers, and um, part of what we would do for fun is when we're hanging out with other people, we would just tell more and more ridiculous stories and try to get people to believe them. And so I remember one night uh, I was telling a story about how I was driving late uh, on the Arkansas highways, and um, I ran over a mountain lion. I promised it was a mountain lion. I had this sleek tail, and it ran off afterwards, but I ran over a mountain lion. And um, so I was trying to get people to see if they believe that. And another friend was talking about running, uh, jogging through Starcy, Arkansas, and he ran by a graveyard, and he saw a man, and then he looked back, and then he saw what looked like a wolf. He can't explain it, but it's a true story. And so these are the kind of stories that we would try to get people to believe. And, um, and they're true, by the way. So, but for a healthy skepticism was warranted when we were telling these stories. Um, and sometimes uh, there are stories that seem too crazy to be true. The Bible has a lot of stories. People are, that wrestle, We wrestle with the veracity of those stories. A flood that covered all the earth, fire coming down from heaven, the whale that 
swallowed and spit up the guy, people walking on water, a God who raises dead bodies out of the ground back to life, or out of caves, or wherever they're buried. Um, <clears throat> sometimes we might think that the people in the biblical era, whenever all the, the 1,500 years that the Bible was written, were just more gullible than us, and it was easy to kind of pull the wool over them. They were scientifically ignorant and superstitious, and they would just believe anything. Um, that viewpoint is something C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, um, and which is the idea that we are necessarily wiser or in a better position to judge the truth or veracity of a story than ancient people because of our advanced enlightened perspectives on the world. He called that snobbery. Um, however, when it came to these resurrection accounts, the people in the first century Mediterranean world were no less skeptical than, than we would be about such stories even if they were skeptical for different reasons. Um, when it came to the resurrection, Greek people thought the idea of resurrected bodies, they thought that was morbid and ridiculous. Like, that's, there's no way that would happen, and we wouldn't really want it to happen. Um, for the Jewish people, the small subset of the world back then, they were divided on the issue. The ruling class, the Sadducees, were like, no, there's no such thing as that. And then the Pharisees and a few others believed that, yeah, at the end of time, God will raise everyone back to life for this final judgment. And in fact, you see this when Jesus goes to hang out with some friends. Um, he's not going to hang out. One of his friends uh, is uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And Lazarus has died. And he goes and Martha, um, the sister of Lazarus, approaches Jesus. And she says, if you would have come sooner, Lord, I know you could have, you could have healed him before he died. And he's like, Martha, uh, he's going to be raised back to life. And she says, I know that he'll be raised at the resurrection. And what she means is she's looking forward to this end times event where God will raise everybody back to life. And Jesus has a little surprise for her. Um, you can go back and read that story if you want to see how it ends. But um, concerning these resurrected bodies, um, the Jewish picture of the world is that God made everything good. He made the world good. He made our, our bodies are, are even good. Even if they're corrupted by sin, initially he made them good. They're good things. But in much of the rest of the world, the material, the body, the, the world, it was considered a bad thing to be escaped. Um, just like, and, and I think this is part of what the Corinthians believed. Um, for they had accepted that God had raised Jesus from the dead because he was a special case or maybe to legitimize what he, who he was. Um, but they really had a problem with this end-time resurrection thing, that everybody would be raised from the dead. And I think they had in mind kind of Thriller or The Walking Dead. Like, that's, that's kind of this, like, we don't really like this idea of, like, a zombie-ish heaven uh, ball. Um, we want kind of free-floating spirit heaven, you know. And you can see, like, that there's some popular ideas about what heaven will be like that are kind of similar to what the Corinthians preferred. Paul is adamant in 1 Corinthians 15, that they are dead wrong. First, you're going to get one of those from me every sermon. I'm sorry. Um, uh, first of all, if, you're in, if you have your Bible, um, he begins in, in the chapter talking about, in the beginning of chapter 15, talking about what they did come to believe in. And in verse 3 and following, he says, you know, you believe that that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried as in his body was put in, in the tomb. 
And then he was raised to life according to the scriptures. And then he was seen by all these different people. He says, this is what you believe. Um, and, and in verse uh, 11, whether then it was, it was they, these other folks, or, uh, or I, this is what we preach. This is what you believe. So again, they believe that Jesus was, but they had a problem with this big resurrection of everybody. And then he says, but here's the thing. The resurrection of everybody is really key to this being good news. And he goes on to explain that if, in verse 13, if there wasn't a resurrection, then not even Christ would have been raised then. Because in Paul's theology, the resurrection is one event. That God creates the world, he loves it, there's something that goes wrong, and so part of God's answer is the resurrection. One big event. What shocked them was that that didn't happen all at one time. That Jesus uh, gets to experience that before the rest of the world. So he says, if there wasn't a resurrection, even Jesus wasn't raised. In verse 14, he says, if there wasn't a resurrection, then your faith is useless. So is our preaching, because it was based on this thing happening. And then as Sarah began to read today, if there wasn't a resurrection, then all this stuff that we're doing, all that we're pouring into each other, um, it ends up being useless too. And therefore we should eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Because in the end, if there is no resurrection, Paul is saying... Um, then death has the final word. But, he says, that's not the final word. Christ has been raised. And that resurrection is the tipping point of God's amazing, life-transforming redemption plan. Um, Again, the Jewish people thought, oh, this could only happen at the end of time. And that's why it was so confusing for them when Jesus would say, well, I'm going to be dead and then raised in three days. And we're like, why couldn't they get that? But they had no concept, they had no theology, they had no worldview that included uh, somebody just being raised from the dead at the, in the middle of time. No one was looking for that. No one expected it. Uh, no one even really wanted it to happen that way. But then, uh, whenever Jesus dies, that's why they lose hope. And so, uh, after Jesus has died, his followers are all grouped together, scared, huddled together. Um, some of them are, end up walking to this little village called Emmaus. And they don't know it yet, but they're walking next to the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus is asking them, why are, you, why are you so down, guys? And they say, we had hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. But he died, so he can't be. So they look back at all this time they spent with Jesus and all the things that they got to do with Jesus. You know, helping him uh, share good news to the poor, helping, them, helping him heal the sick, cast out demons from possessed people. And it ended in death. So it was hopeless, meaningless. But then it happens. Uh, before the Emmaus walk, but three women uh, named Joanna and two named Mary go to anoint Jesus' body after he's died. And when they go, they meet Jesus. Not a spirit, glowing spirit ghost thing. They meet a living body. Not the walking dead, they meet Jesus alive and well in a body. They tell Peter and John, Peter and John run to this tomb where Jesus was buried. There's no body there. The early followers of Jesus didn't think that Jesus' spirit was showing up and saying, Hi, I'm, I'm alive again in your hearts, but my body is rotting in a tomb. They weren't thinking that. They didn't think that, that that would have been a good news. Instead, 
they said that Jesus had been raised up and transformed into something new. And so as Paul says in our chapter that Sarah read, it's like his body was planted as a seed in the ground and a seed dies, but then it gives life to something new. There's continuity between the old and the new. There's continuity between my flesh and bones here and what God is going to do someday when I am made new. Uh, the body will be similar, but it will be transformed. It will be the perishable gives way to the imperishable. The body that is made of dirt, like the Adam and Eve story, which God said was good, is now going to be infused with spirit life and made new. And this renewed, resurrected Jesus is the ones that they meet. And I love when Jesus shows up and in the stories, he's like, he, he's not like, boo, you know. But he, he does kind of show up, but, and they're scared, but he says, come Feel my hands. Like, this is me. I'm here. You can touch me. And then, as if to convince him even more, he says, Can I have some fish to eat? You know, a ghost doesn't eat fish. He sits down with them and he eats fish. And so, this is Jesus trying to show them what is this resurrected life all about? And they said that this resurrection that they experienced, this resurrected Jesus, was what changed everything for them from hopelessness to hope. And this is the part of the story that we live in as well. We live in kind of a book-ended existence where uh, on one end we have Jesus' res- resurrection where God brought him to life, where God put in, uh, defeated death for the first time, where he brought forgiveness of sin, and then we're looking forward to the resurrection at the end. And so you might say, okay, so there is some future hope there, but what about where is hope for the present? That's what I started saying. We're, when we feel hopeless now, it's kind of nice to say, okay, we believe that there's going to be a future uh, in heaven with God. I'm like, what do we got back here? Um, who has shown up? Um, but what about now? I think that's a key question we're wrestling with. Like we, it's good to hope for the future, but what about now? I think that it is when we look at Jesus' life found in the gospel stories that not only shows him dying and being raised from the dead uh, and death coming to an end but also when he helps put an end to sickness chaos, evil powers and sin all the things that are like a shackle on creation, the creation that he loves, when he's at work fighting against those things, I think that's a picture of the hope we have because think about it, Jesus healed a lot of people in the gospel stories but did he realize they were just going to get sick and die again? Like, what's the point of healing somebody if they're just going to get sick and die again? Now, there is a point to doing that. Because Jesus cares about how we are here and now. And, and our bodies are important because we live in our bodies. We, we're built to live and enjoy God's creation in our bodies. Um, we're meant to join God in his mission with our bodies, with all of us. Um, and we're going to end up being bodies in the future. Our current bodies, though we may die like a seed in the ground, God is going to transform it into what it will be in the future. Why does Jesus confront the evils in the Jewish and the Roman society when he knows that after the Jewish and the Roman society are out of power, there's just going to be more societies that are going to be corrupt and evil uh, all through the ages? Why does he corrupt one if they're just going to get worse later on? I think he challenges all of these systems for the same reason, because life in the moment matters and because he is inviting us into the future and saying in the future when God rules over all things it's not going to be like this anymore 
We're not going to mistreat people for how they're different than us anymore. Uh, We are going to be ruled by God's love for each other. And he's inviting us into a future that's not yet, we're not yet experiencing. I'd love to hear what you think. In light of the resurrection and your understanding, how do you feel that there is hope for today? that Jesus tells about what his kingdom is like and it's always like it's surprising stuff it's unexpected stuff what's somebody else we're how do you yeah uh, the one thing that becomes of course I love N.T. Wright and he has a great great metaphor for this whole concept and and the weird thing is this is what when I went through school 40 Four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was this was normal. Actually, this this concept was normal in, in the school that I attended. You know, we talked about the resurrection. This is exactly the kind of stuff we talked about. Um, not this spirit floating around when someone's dead and you see their body. It's not oh, this is just their shell. No, that's them. Something violent just took place. Spirit and body and soul have been separated, and, mm-hmm. and that's not that's not hopeful. That's, they're not, that's terrible, you know. They don't look good. They look dead. Um, but it's going to, that's going to change. Someday, that's going to change. But for me, the metaphor that I love is this building of this incredible um, cathedral. And you have the stonemason who says, okay, I want you to make this stone. And he's making this stone to these specifications. And it's like he has absolutely no clue where that stone's going to go. What is going to look like? It's going to take a hundred years for this cathedral to even finish. But that stone is going to be part of this beautiful structure. And it's the same way for whatever I'm doing right now. It may look like a gray block that has no form except it's square. You know? And it's rough. Mm-hmm. But whatever I'm doing right here, right now, God is going to
Yeah. Thank you, Daryl. Um, I'm going to spill that in just a minute. Um, one more. Where do you where do you feel hope today? Or how does the resurrection give you hope? Mm-hmm. The Bible says I'm not my own about with Christ. Right? Okay. The Bible says that uh, somehow magically, spiritually, I was placed in Christ in the seat. So this John is in Christ. And, and, and this body is mortal. And so I'm going to be in Christ some kind of way. You know, I'm not going to be... And that, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a peculiar theological, mystical thing, but it's the absolute rock-solid truth ever so in heaven forever and ever again. Yeah, so you're talking about, A, that your future is in God, and that who you are right now, are, are you saying, like, there's you have hope that about your, you physically being transformed? Well, no, I mean... Um, I've been depressed, I've been discouraged, I've despaired, I've been suicidal, you know. Yeah. And, 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 and so what is this all about? Healthy, you know, this is just a bunch of stupidness. It's like, really? Uh, but my goodness is all Christ daily, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, he says, come follow me. When he said that, and I was doing whatever, he says, okay, here we go. That's simple. Follow me. I do that. And so I'm following Christ, and I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. That's a mystery. Mm-hmm. I mean, forget left brain. This is a mystery. I'm in him, he's in me, and this body is not going to make it 200 years old, and somehow I'm being Christ. Finger. Yeah. How does that work? I don't know. Yeah. It's in the Bible, that's all I got. <laughs> I appreciate highlighting the mystery of it. So when I look at Jesus, and I look at how. He suffered, how he lived, how he worked, and he did that with hope. I think that we can too. I think about how he said, you know, if you give even a cup of water to the least of these, you do that for me. So that even the smallest of actions is significant. Um, I think that every time that we lay down our power and our privilege for the sake of others, I think that's significant. I think every act of courage in the face of evil is significant. Even if it feels like evil is still coming in different ways or that it's winning in some way. I think every time we choose what is good and true over what is idolatrous and unholy, I think that is significant. I think, as as Val shared last week, whenever we choose to come into the light with who we are and our stories and we share that with each other, I think that is a seed that is planted into that rich, fertile soil of God's kingdom. And we have no idea how God's going to make it grow. That's the mystery. We don't know what the outcome is going to be. We don't know how what is present, what we do in the present, is going to turn into the future when it's in the resurrected life of God. But when we look at Jesus, we see that every seed, every sacrifice that is sowed in the ground, even though it may die... That God, the God of life raises it up to new life again in beautiful and surprising ways. And that's what he said sometimes about hope. I think about Hebrews where he said, some of these folks died without seeing the promise fulfilled. Some of these folks were faithful to the end and they didn't see it. But that God 
was going to use that. It was going to birth that up into something new and beautiful. You know, I, I shared about Jill and I going to, to Nashville, and um, it's been five years since that whole uh, Canada church planning thing, and I see now some of the things that God was doing in us, some of the ways that he changed us and shaped us through that, that's born fruit in my life. But I also think about, um, I think about a couple that we spent a lot of time with. And then after a couple of years, um, they left and just decided they kind of do their own thing. And, and um, I was really bummed out by, by them when we left. I was kind of like, man, we, we spent a lot of time with you guys and I don't see any. It, it, it just didn't seem fruitful, like a fruitful relationship. And they came and they, they visited our friends in Nashville recently and they, they said, you know, that time that we were together, we look back and say, see how that was one of the most significant change points in our lives. We saw God in new ways, and it took some time for us to figure that out. And then we've just started to come alive now. And they moved to a new city, and um, they just have they have peace. They're uh, leading in different ways, and they're in the church they're part of. I'm like praise God for that. We did not see that coming. Um, I think about uh, a, a dear friend that that we met there that um, that his life turned around in a pretty dramatic way and um, and, and he, he found Jesus in those years that we were all hanging out and and then we, we left and it was just it was sad I didn't know what would happen to him um, but since then like God uh, introduced him to a nice lady that uh, they, they married and then um, he's just started to God's doing great things in his life he said that they um, he's now a grandparent <laughs> now and he's thrilled about that um, and I, there are different pictures that are coming into focus to say these are things that God is doing through that time in our lives and I think God thank you because I can't see it I couldn't see it then I don't know what to look for always but I see that you are faithful in, in growing those little seeds that were planted So I say our work for the Lord is not in vain. In which case, let's take the seeds of living like Jesus in this world with us and just sow them generously. Let's toss them out. We don't know what's going to happen, but every time we, we act in that way, um, I think God does something with it. Let's love with abandon. Let's pour our lives out for our neighbors. Let's live with radical hospitality and generosity. Because every seed that is planted in the kingdom has God's life-giving potential in it. And we don't know what he's going to do with it, but I believe it's going to be good. I want to close uh, with the words of a song called So Will I that's been um, meaningful to me recently. And then we're going to have a time to, to pray. Um, the song says this. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. I can see your heart in everything that you've done, every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose to render, so will I. I can see your heart eight billion different ways, every precious one a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. 
Pray with me. Lord, would you give us uh, eyes to see how you have been at work in the past and how you will be at work in the future. That even when we can't see, um, help us to know that you're there, that you are still at work, um, and that you haven't left us or abandoned us or forsaken us. Um, I wrestle in the tension of that, Lord, because as we, as as Megan shared today, it's good for us to feel that same burden of your forsakenness, Lord, sometimes, and to know that it's okay to to look and to feel some despair and to feel some lament, Lord. Um, and so, Lord, we sit in that when we cannot see uh, the path forward, when we can't see what you're doing. But, Lord, I, I pray that you give us also a deep sense of trust, a sense of trust that uh, for everything that we do, it is not in vain, that it is significant. Lord, give us uh, trust uh, to hope in the present and in the future. Lord, we thank you for Jesus because he poured out his life and showed us how we can pour out our lives as well. And we see what happened, what you did with him. And that gives us hope for it. Uh, thank you for Jesus. And we raise him up and glorify him. We pray in his name. Amen.